0: Thank you to all worship teams. Hey, Philippians chapter 2. If you're joining us online, Roswell Dalton, thank you so much for being part of our service today. No matter where you are, Philippians chapter 2. Well, I'm not in a series over the next couple of weeks. I just want to do a couple of one off sermons. And today I want to preach on this subject Start. Start. We get to the new year. And we all have some things that we want to start. And for most people, if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian for any length of time, you want to get your, um, your Christian life remotivated. You want to get your Christian life re-engaged. You want to get your walk with God where it ought to be, heading the right direction. And the key to that is getting started. Now, here's what I know, if you'll look this way. Jesus said this, one of my favorite verses, because it's true so much in my life, right? Jesus said this, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, weak. weak. I mean, if it wasn't for that weak flesh, we'd all have a great spiritual life, right? If it wasn't for that weak flesh, we'd all have a great Christian life. But the fact is, we have got to learn how to get started in the Christian life so we can continue on in the Christian life and what we all tend to do is we all have great intentions right that we, we plan on getting started one day but the old procrastination bug uh, kicks in we're all prone to procrastination I saw this the other day that research says that procrastination is more intense get this before the initiation of a task we don't procrastinate while we're in it we procrastinate getting in it. So it's that famous line my kid said would be on my tombstone one day. I plan on starting a diet when? Tomorrow. 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 Once I'm going, I'm going. But it's getting started that becomes the issue. Procrastination creeps in before we even get started. Not only that, we know this, that fear of failure prevents people from taking the very first Steps in order to get started. We know this that the overwhelm of choices leads to decision paralysis. I'll talk about that in a moment when it even comes to dots. There's so many things to do. Not only that, we learn this that people perceive the pain of loss more acutely than the pleasure of gain, making the risk of starting and potentially failing seem worse than the potential benefits. Now, this is a part of psychology that you need to understand that that we perceive the pain of loss hurts us more than the pleasure of pain helps us out. So we are loss-averse. It's called loss-aversion. We are loss-averse, and so we don't want to start because we're afraid of failure. And all of that is even true in the Christian life. At least to that old quote, you may have heard uh, that is so true. The hardest part of exercise is putting your tennis shoes on. Right. The hardest part of exercise is getting my tennis shoes on, getting my workout clothes on. Once I do that, I'm going to exercise. But it's getting started that becomes the most difficult thing. I'll say this: Can I pull the veil back on preacher life for just a moment? I'll I'll tell you what preachers struggle with. You may may not know this, but sermons are hard. Like sermons don't don't come easily they're they're difficult sermons are hard work one preacher of yesteryear would put on his work boots when he started doing a sermon it felt like manual labor digging the truths out of the word of god and making them applicable into our daily lives and studying the theology of all that we're trying to preach it is the sermon work is difficult and what happens in sermon work i remember when i first got into the ministry that um uh i man uh, I had a little pride. Is it okay to say that? And I'd had a Bible that that I had been reading out of for years, long before I was in ministry. And I had a little bubblegum wrapper, sheets of paper, and I had sermon outlines just stuck all through that Bible. And I thought I had sermons for years. And my first church, we had church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, And my church didn't believe in preaching series at the time or preaching through books. Every sermon had to be a different sermon. So I'm not doing a Bible study on Wednesday night. I'm preaching a sermon. I'm not doing a Bible study on Sunday night. I'm preaching a sermon and none of them are connected. So three sermons a week is not impossible physically uh, uh, possible to do three brand new sermons. And so... Man, I remember in those early days. Uh, I remember in the early days, I'd be like, "Oh man, I got sermons forever. I'm never going to run out of sermons. Six months in, uh, nothing made. I was, I was out of everything. There were entire days that I was. There, there were there were Tuesdays that I was trying to find an opening sermon illustration." And I walked the floor and paced all day long. And by the time I went home, you know how much I had written on a sermon? Not one word. You know how scourging it is to lose a day trying to prep for a sermon? And here's what I've learned since then. You know what I do Now. I find that passage of scripture I'm going to preach. I'll get my outline together. Sometimes I don't even have a complete outline yet. I'm not sure how to word uh, point number three, point number four, point number one. But you know what I do now? I just start. And if I got point number two down really well, I'll just start writing on point number two. I don't go in chronological order necessarily. And if I if I get to do that, great. But I don't worry because here's what I've discovered. Once I get moving The spiritually creative juices flow so much better. Now, here's what you're going to know about any area of life, but especially the Christian life. Once you get momentum going in the Christian life, the Christian life becomes a little bit easier once I'm moving. But the hardest part is getting started. I remember the first bicycle I got, I was probably about six years old. And I got a bicycle for Christmas. We lived in a subdivision, had a carport, not a garage. And my parents bought me a bicycle, but uh, had no interest in telling me how to ride a bicycle. Just go outside and figure it out yourself. So I did. I I got my first bicycle. And and now if you're an adult, by the way, if you're an adult and hadn't been on a bicycle lately, I encourage you to do it and see if you survive it. But I'm, I'm a kid, and I got my little bicycle here, and, and maybe six years old, and I don't know how to ride a bicycle. Nobody's ever shown me how to ride a bicycle. I've never been on a bicycle, and so here's what I did. We had a, we had a, uh, we had a door that went from our carport into our kitchen, and it had two steps on it, two concrete steps going up into that. And I remember I would, I would get my bicycle against those steps. I would crawl on my bicycle and balance myself against the wall, but I could take my right foot, and I could push off. And I'd roll out of the carport, down through our gravel driveway, down to a, at what at the time was a gravel road in front of us, and then we had a ditch with grass in it, and I didn't know how to turn, and I didn't know how to brake. I would just coast down the driveway until I got the ditch and then turn myself over in the ditch. <laughs> but I figured out when you got a little momentum going with you, it got a little bit easier to learn how to ride a bicycle. Now, i want to tell you about the Christian life. Once you get a little momentum going with you, the Christian life becomes a little bit easier. And, and I want to describe to you what I just described about riding a bicycle is the Christian life too. You know what? You push yourself off, you coast for a minute, and you're going to fall in a ditch. And you know what, you know what I did when I fell in the ditch? I got right back up, went right back to the carport, got on the step, and did the same thing over and over again until I figured it out. And the Christian life is often going to be that way. It's just you getting started. It's you getting some momentum. It's you getting pushed off. And you're going to fall in the ditch from time to time. But it's okay. You get right back up and start again. I heard um, an old Irish tale about a, a, a German fable, rather, about a tree. Let me read this to you. He said, it began suddenly to give signs of life. And it shot up through the hard crust of the earth, this little seed, and it spread forth its roots, rejoicing in the pleasant sunshine, crying aloud in its joy. Just a little sapling, he said, am I not a tree? But a voice came floating by. Uh, well, it's not. I thought I had it up here. Let me, let, me, let me read it. The voice came floating by, and here's what it said. The wind shall rock thee, and great storms tear thy very roots, and the winter's frost shall bite thee. And many winters and summers pass over thee as the years roll along, ere thou canst call thyself a tree. That's the Christian life. Oh, there it is, there it is. Ere th- call thyself a tree. There's gonna be a lot of storms and a lot of winters in your life that are gonna have to pass over you before you feel like you're that fully Formed Christian, but every day you procrastinate getting started is a day farther away from where you want to be in the Christian life. So how do we start? How do we start? Philippians chapter 2 tells us that. Would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it, Philippians chapter 2? Just reading two verses. I read them the other day and told you we were going to come back here, but Philippians chapter 2, look in verse number 12. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, this passage is telling us here that even though you are saved, you have some work to do. Let me, let me walk you through this passage and then make four points about it. First of all, Paul said, as you have always obeyed in my presence. Now, the word obeyed there in the Greek is the exact word that would be used of obedience of a child to a parent. And Paul is telling us that one of the keys of the Christian life, we'll see it in detail in a moment, is obedience in Christian life. God values obedience. In Micah chapter six, it said, what should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow before God on high? Should I come before him with burnt offerings, with your old calves? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000 streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn? for my transgression, the offspring of my body, for my own sin, get this, mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what is the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love faithfulness and to walk humbly with your God. So here's what, here, what uh, uh, Michael was saying. We always wanna come before God and we think the key to uh, knowing God is some big sacrifice, doing some big thing. And Micah says this, no, all God's wanting you to do is be obedient to him. The reason we're not getting anywhere in the Christian life is we're not obedient to God. He goes on to say in, in uh, 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 Philippians 2, he said, you obeyed uh, while I was there. He said, now so much more in my absence. The word in the Greek is the exact antonym of the word presence. He said, now, even when I'm not working, when I'm not watching over you, you should be obedient. And then he said, here's what you ought to do. You are to work out your own salvation. Now the word work there is the word produce, commit, accomplish. You say, wait, I, I, I didn't think I have to work for my salvation. You, you don't work for your salvation. Here's what Paul's trying to tell you that you are legally saved. That was my Christmas Eve sermon. Legally in heaven, your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. You are a child of God, but practically you need to work out the salvation that has been worked in you. That word work out there in the Greek is in the middle voice. It is an imperative. It means do it yourself and start it immediately. Do it yourself and And start it immediately. That you have a salvation that is in you and your job practically, my job practically is to work it out myself and start it immediately. What's the attitude that you have while you do it? He said, do it with fear and trembling. Listen to me, the Christian life is serious business. You're not supposed to play around with the Christian life. You're not supposed to do the Christian life if you have time for it. You're not supposed to work the Christian life in as leftovers. The attitude you should have is it is a serious, sober, determined business living for God. Then he said this, the advantage you have is God is working in you both to will and to work. You say, well, preacher, I don't think that I have, people say that all the time before they get saved. Preacher, I don't think I have it in me to live the Christian life. Well, you definitely don't have it in you before you get saved, but after you get saved, you do have it in you. See, if you're on the outside looking in, you're saying I can't do that. You're 100% right. But if you'll get in, you don't have that excuse anymore. Right? Because God is working in you. Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses. If I had a life verse, it'd be this verse. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is Christ living in me that allows me to live the Christian life it's him working in me and then finally Paul says according to his good purpose why are we doing what we are doing your growth is for God's pleasure and God's purpose so Philippians two, thirteen, 13 and 12 and 13 is not saying that we ought to save ourselves it is saying that we are to start working out what God has given us in the Christian life. So how do we do that? How do we start working out the Christian life that is God has given us? I want to give you four things this morning. Jot these down. Number one, how do you get started? Number one, you start by being obedient. Everything you want to be and do in the Christian life starts right here. Listen to this. Listen to this. You need to hear this. You cannot out-sacrifice disobedience. You cannot out-give disobedience. No, the place to start in the Christian life is you start by being obedient. You cannot give disobedience. You cannot out-sacrifice. And though we may want to do something great and awesome for God, starting in the Christian life starts with the mundane thing of obedience to an almighty God. 2024 ought to be determined in your heart and your mind to be the year of obedience for you. You want this year to be different? You want to be closer to God in December than what you are today? Here's what you do. You start obeying God in what you know to do. This time every year, we all want to get in shape or lose weight. I I looked up Wikipedia. Uh, I, I looked up Wikipedia Uh, di- I looked up the word, I think it was the word diet in Wikipedia. And I counted the number of dots they listed. On Wikipedia page alone, they had 113 different dots you could choose from. 113. But you know what every single one of them have in common? Eat better, eat less. Every one of them summed up, eat better. You know what I didn't find in Wikipedia? You know what I didn't find? I didn't find a Doritos diet, and I looked intently for one. I didn't find a chocolate cake diet. Why? Because all 113 diets, I don't care if it's a cabbage soup diet I talked about a month ago or whatever it may be, all 113, they are not complex. You want to lose weight in 2024? Here's what it is. Eat better, eat less. Eat better, eat less. It's not hard. It's just mundane. It's not hard. It's just mundane. I want to tell you, the Christian life is much that way. We want a marvelous revelation about how to live for Jesus. Here it is. Be obedient. Be obedient. It's all God's looking for out of you is obedience. You remember the story of Naaman and, and Second Kings. Look, Naaman, the commander of the army for the king of Aram, was a man important to his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was a valiant warrior, but he had a skin disease. Y'all remember this story, Second Kings? And he said, Aram had gone on raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, "If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease." So, verse nine, Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha said to the messenger, sent him a messenger and said, go wash seven times in the Jordan, your skin will be restored and you'll be clean. But Naaman got angry, the Bible says, and left saying, I was telling myself, he will surely come out, stand and call on the name of the Lord, of, uh, of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the skin disease. Naaman was wanting a magic show. And he said, aren't Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? So he turned and left in a rage. But his servant approached him and said to him, my father. If the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more should you do it when he only tells you, wash and be clean? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times according to the command of God. Then his skin was restored and he became like the skin of a small boy and he was clean. What is What do we learn from that story? Here's what we learn from that story. God is not interested in magic shows. He's not interested in amazing sacrifices. God is interested in you simply doing what? What you know to do, it's not complicated. Mark Twain said this. Mark Twain said, I'm not troubled by the things in the Bible which I do not understand. But I'm troubled by those things which I do understand. Some of you here this morning and you're thinking, Well, I don't know everything about the Bible. There's some things in there I don't understand. We're we're came able to get their wives or whatever that whatever it is you may be asking I don't know and it doesn't matter you know it does matter the things you already know to do things like you should be forgiving you know that Bible's plain why aren't you doing that things like you ought to be Faithful to church, things like you ought to give a tithe, things like you ought to find a place to serve, things like you ought to love your neighbor as yourself. It's those things. I mean, we're, we're waiting for God to show up and show us some amazing glory. So maybe so maybe uh, uh, metaphorically speaking, our name will be in heavenly lights, or on a billboard or i get a, no. That's not what God's looking for. God wants you to start, if you want your Christian life in December to be better than it is in January, here's what you do. You just start being obedient to the things you know you ought to be doing. It's not the complicated things in revelation you don't understand that's keeping you from living for christ it's those simple things in matthew mark luke and john that jesus has already told us that we're not doing and by the way you'll never be able to go on to greater things until you know to do what you already are have been told to do chances are you've got a bible full of commands here you may not know verses but you know they're there you're, you're not doing those simple things. You want to revolutionize your Christian life? Start right there. Start right there. Start by doing what you ought to be doing. Let me ask you a question. Should you be studying your Bible, yes or no? Why not you start there? Should you be praying every day, yes or no? Why not you start there? Should you be Faithful to church, should you be giving, should you be tithing, should you be forgiving, should you be loving? Yes, 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 start there. Your Christian life in December will be revolutionized. You'll turn the page into 2025 if God lets you live. You'll be amazed at the difference in your Christian life. How do I start? Number one, you start being obedient. Number two, how do I start? You start doing it for him, not for them. You say, well, who's them? Doesn't matter who them is. It matters who him is. They obeyed easily when Paul was there. But now Paul's gone and they have no supervision. And what do they say about no supervision? When the cat's away, the mice will play. Paul said this, here's what, I'm not there, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You work it out. You're not doing it for your parents. You're not doing it for your spouse. You're not doing it for your preacher. You're doing what you do for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to be honest, too many believers do nothing good if somebody's not supervising them. Too many Christians don't resemble Jesus when nobody's watching over them, when they get a moment alone or away alone or a time alone, or nobody's taking inventory. Nobody knows if I did my quiet time today, so what's the big deal? God knows. And until you start doing the Christian life for Jesus and not for the people who are watching you, uh, you'll never be what you ought to be for Jesus. Most, Most of you know, I was in the business world before I Uh, got into full-time ministry as vice president of the company, and we we came upon this time where uh, work had gotten so busy I needed to start a second shift. So I hired a whole second shift to come in and we trained them for weeks and weeks on first shift. And a certain piece of machinery that had to be ran is about 15 employees. We were using to start a second shift and man, these guys I'd hired the cream of the crop and they were just crushing it on first shift. And man, the first couple of nights on second shift, they just crushed it and they were better than my first shift team. And I started, you know, really ragging on my first shift team and, and, um, it went on for about three or four days. It was going really, really well. And then I noticed uh, production began to mysteriously decline greatly. And I'd come in the next morning, and i say, man, what happened? And they're like, well, this machinery broke, and we had to fix it. And the next day, they ran out of something. And the next day, something. this went on for a couple of weeks. And I finally decided something's not right before the days of cell phones and cameras and all that. So one night, about nine o'clock at night, I parked down the street, walked over to the building, I snuck in a little used door, crawled over on the floor to a door and cracked it open about that much and just watched. And I immediately knew why production was down. The machinery was off. They were all sitting around, having a good time, laughing, cutting up. And I thought, well, maybe it's a break. And I watched for hours. It was the longest lunch break in the history of lunch breaks. You say, you call them out on it? No. I recorded, made notes, shut the door, snuck back home. But the next day at 4 o'clock when they came on, I said, man, production was really low last night. What happened? And they started the litany of it, you know, well, the machinery broke or this happened or that happened. And I said, it couldn't be that y'all were just laying around doing nothing, could it? He's, said, oh, we'd never do that. Well, that's funny. I watched you do it for about two hours last night. It was a couple days later, I... Uh, shut down second shift. And I determined that not everybody will work when somebody's not watching. Before we get too hard on my second shift crew from 1995, God probably feels the same way about us sometimes. Well, who are we doing it for? Are you trying to live for Jesus so... Your husband will think you're a good Christian or your wife will or your kids will or your parents will or your preacher will or your Sunday school teacher will. who, Who are you doing it for? Because I want to be honest, Jesus is always watching. And Paul said, here's what I love about the uh, church at Philippi. You served Christ when nobody was watching. You served Christ when you weren't being supervised. And I want to tell you this morning, too many Christians in this generation will not serve Christ if they're not being watched. Will you? Because he's always watching. And one day we'll stand before him, not them, and give an account of every deed done in our body. You want to get started right on the Christian life in 2024? Don't do it for them. Do it for him. He's the one that died for you. He's the one that rose again. Number three, let me tell you how to start in the Christian life. Number three, you start by owning your Christian life. Here's what Paul said. I love this phrasing. Paul said, work out your own salvation. We're fear and trembling. You know, we're some product of our choices in our lives. We may not like that, but it's true. And Paul is trying to tell you, I need you to choose to walk with Christ. Listen, child of God, you need to own your walk with God. You need to own your holiness. You need to own your quiet time. You need to own your church attendance. You need to own your giving. You need to own your serving. You must drop the excuses and own it because that, those, that's the two things we do. Here's, here's what we do. We either own it or we make excuses for it. And you'll be, you'll be the one to stand before God one day without excuse. So own your own salvation. We'd rather make excuses, right? We just, we're, we're an excuse people. The average American, get this, will make 2,190 excuses to validate their decisions per year. Per year. Some of you got ready-made excuses already, right? You like just got them lined up. How about this? A poll of 2,000 Americans found that the average respondent makes at least six excuses every day, at least. Six. Here they are. And results revealed the ever-popular I'm too tired. Top the list. Why can't I have a quiet time? Well, I'm too tired. When I slept 10 hours last night. I know, I'm just I'm too tired. Sleep wears me out, you know, and so... Uh, followed by the commonly given excuse of I don't have enough money, I don't have enough time, and those round out the top three, right? On a weekly basis, excuses were most commonly given by respondents in order to avoid exercising, eating healthy, or running errands, all tied at 33%. I'm too tired, I don't have enough money to exercise, and I don't have enough time to exercise. You know what that is? That's making excuses instead of owning it. Our habit is to make excuses. And can I be honest with you this morning? The devil will give you all of the excuses you need to not live for Christ. But you know what the thing is? That Christian you respect so much, he or she has all those same excuses at their disposal as well. They just choose to own their Christian life. You're never going to get anywhere with God until you own your Christian life and you work it out and you quit making excuses, but you make good decisions. The choice is yours. I mean, look at your own life this morning. Is your Christian life full of excuses or ownership? And for too many of us, it's an excuse. If you want to start right in the Christian life, start by Stopping making excuses and start owning your Christian life. The first thing you have to do is divine reality. Why am I not getting up and doing a quiet time in the morning? Because I'm lazy, that's why. I know, nobody talks to you like that, right? Uh, But it's, you need to talk to you that way. You need to talk to you that way. Why aren't I tithing? Because I'd rather spend it on myself. (laughs) Does that hurt? You can say ouch instead of amen if you want to. Why aren't I reading my Bible? Because I'd rather watch Netflix or scroll Facebook or TikTok. Insert, Insert social media of choice. You make excuses. Or you can own your Christian life. Paul said, work out your own. You are responsible for you. Number four, this, this is the whole sermon, number four, and I don't have time to preach it. Number four, you want to start? Start letting God work out what he has worked in. Work out what he's worked in. You're not working out what you don't have, Can I tell you the beauty of the Christian life? Everything you need to be a Billy Graham-level Christian is already inside of you, and more, by the way, and more. Everything you need to be an Apostle Paul kind of Christian is already inside of you, the Holy Spirit. It's all in here. You've got the same Holy Spirit I've got that Billy Graham had, that the Apostle Paul had. You have the Holy Spirit. If you are saved, it is all in here. Your job is to work out what God has already worked in. Here's what that means. Your potential is so much greater than you are realizing on a day-to-day basis. Your job is just to let loose what God has worked in. Close your Bibles, I'm finished. I'm not finished, I'm just stopping. Close your Bibles. Close your Bibles. How many of you have one of these at home? Amazon Alexa. Can I see your hand? You got one of these at home? Listen to every single word we say. Every and they say they don't. But I say Alexa and she says what? But I got one. I do two things with Alexa. Somehow my kids a couple years ago at Christmas bought smart plugs for my house. And I've bought some since then. And I've, my wife loves lamps. We have lamps everywhere. North Georgia Electric loves our lamp game. Or Georgia Power loves our lamp game we got going on at our house. They're like, yep. Christmas bonus, Joel turned all his lamps on in his house. But I got them all on smart plugs. It used to, before we had smart plugs, my kid would watch me at night. And it was was a it was, it felt like a, a, an hour ritual. to Go through, turn all the lamps off one by one by one. So we got them all on smart plugs. So somehow, I don't even know how I did it. I'm not even sure I could do it again. They helped me a little bit. And I, I'm smart with technology, but this kind of got over my head. But somehow I tied all of those plugs into Alexa so I can say downstairs off, and they all go off at the same time. So I do that. I say downstairs off, and they all go off. And then my second favorite thing, i well, not second favorite thing, the second only thing I ask Alexa is, what's the high temperature today? That's it. That's all I know to do with it. But I got online and looked the other day. Here's a list of everything it can do. Not, it's not everything. It's, an, it's a, not an exhaustive list, but here it is. You can do calls and messages, didn't know that. It can be a home intercom, didn't know that. You can set up routines, don't even know what that means. It can guard your home, didn't know that. It can control your television, don't understand that. It can read audio books to you, didn't know that. Somehow it can find your phone, no idea. It can find your restaurant, The website had this, control your home. I'm assuming like AI, Terminator type, control your home. (laughs) It can give you recipes, tell you jokes, play music, give you the news and weather, and it can buy things from Amazon, which also terrifies me. I forgot the third thing I do use it for is I'll say set a timer. That's it. But I'm sitting here with this thing that can do so much. And I have it turn the lights off and on, set a timer, and tell me the high temperature. It has more potential than I'm utilizing it for. That's our Christian life too. Our Christian life, what God has worked in us through the power of the Holy Spirit has so much more potential than what you're using it for. In 2024, you need to start letting God work out what he's worked in you. And quit saying you can't and start being obedient, doing it for Jesus, owning your Christian life, and then realizing the power of Christ is in you to do whatever it is you need to do for Jesus you stand with me heads bowed and eyes closed
1: thank you pastor joel for that incredible message and um i don't know what it is about this time of year that we say this is a time that we can reset we we can we can just press reset on all the things that we want to fix um all the different little tune-ups that we want to do in our lives and maybe for you like pastor joel preached this morning it's time for you to start obeying what you already know You've got a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you started a relationship last week uh, during our time together. It's time for you to dig into your own spiritual life and your walk with Jesus. And uh, maybe God has spoken to your heart uh, in that way. And uh, maybe God has spoken to your heart, and what you need to start today is a relationship with Him. That begins with you understanding that you're a sinner and that your sin has separated you from God. You've got to be willing to admit that. And then you've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day to pay the penalty for our sin and to close the separation between us and God. Then you have to confess Him as your personal Lord and Savior. Romans chapter 10 tells us this, we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth and we will be saved. If God has spoken to your heart and you need to start that relationship today, in the quietness of this moment, wherever you are, tell God this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, And that he rose again to pay the penalty for my sin. And Lord, right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, I ask you to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the very first time and you meant it, man, we want to celebrate with you. We want to help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. And so we've just dropped a link in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. Click on that. Give us just a little bit of information about yourself. I'll get an email and I'll be in touch with you this week. Man, I've enjoyed our time together. I look forward to worshiping with you each week. God bless you. See you next week.